0: I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. All right. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Groves. I hope everyone had a fabulous weekend. Here we are, another Monday. And another very special guest, we all know I love to do these interviews, and I actually listened to her on another podcast, and she is the perfect guest for this podcast. She was an engineer turned entrepreneur, which I love those stories. An author, ultimate book of outfit formulas, and the CEO of Get Your Pretty On. Allison, say hello. Welcome on.
1: Oh, hello. Thank you. Such a great introduction.
0: I want you to give my audience a little bit more background. I've done some research, but I'd like to turn it over to you. Just introduce yourself a little bit and give us some background on who you are.
1: Absolutely. So I am a recovering yoga pants addict. Let's just start there. <laughs> and I started Get Your Pretty On back in 2012, honestly, as my own personal blog and as a way for me to solve a problem that I had myself, which was getting dressed every day. I'm a mom of three. My husband and I met on a blind date, which I don't think that's even a possibility anymore, is it? Like, you can't have blind dates anymore because people will Google Google each other, but uh, that tells you how old I am. (laughs) And we live in Flower Mound, Texas. Um, We've got a few acres and lots and lots of animals, three horses, ducks, goats, donkeys, you name it. So we're living the life here and uh, loving every minute of it.
0: Wow. A blind date. That is crazy. So was it like friends set you up or?
1: Yes. Neither one of us wanted to go. So my neighbor and his best friend set us up. And, um, yeah. So uh, the funny thing is at the end of the night, like I didn't think we connected or clicked at all and he didn't think so either. So we didn't talk again for two weeks and then he finally reached out to me and I was like, Oh wow, I guess he didn't like me. And, And he was thinking the same thing. And then he asked me out again and the rest is history.
0: Wow, that is so interesting. See, that's the ideal way to get in there. I'm single and I'm 25 and everyone's on apps and doing all this stuff. And I've just kind of been, I don't know if it's a God thing, but I'm just very like go with the flow. So it is interesting to hear. I know my parents met through work. So I'm like, there's always so many different ways that you can.
1: Yeah. For sure. When it's meant to be the right person's gonna come along at the right time.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. Well, you were an engineer, like I just mentioned, turn entrepreneur. And I know your blog was a passion project. So my first question to you is, as a recovering yoga pants addict, I like that little phrase there. What prompted you to start the blog outside of that? Was there a part of you that wasn't fulfilled in your day job and was craving something more? Or did you just start that, start this as just a hobby that took off eventually?
1: Honestly, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. I felt like a square peg in a round hole. I'm equally... Right and left brain. So while, you know, I was able to fulfill the tech side of me through engineering, I always felt like there was this creative side that I just wasn't exploring and something was missing. So I had this just discontentment in my corporate career for many years. And on the side, I started acting and I was doing acting classes and and found that this was really a good creative outlet for me. I was enjoying trying on different personas. I've always been an introvert and it was good for me in so many ways. I got comfortable on camera, in in improv situations, you know, just having so many different um, scenarios thrown out there mm-hmm. that I was getting all of these skills on the side and really just enjoying this creative pursuit of acting while I was still in corporate America working as an engineer. So I was able to kind of satisfy both of those things. Then back in t- 2012, I got the opportunity to work from home, which was extremely unusual at that time, like everybody's doing it now, right? Um, but that was really when things started to shift and change in me. I got into a rut. Um, and I call it my yoga pants rut. But honestly, getting out of that routine of getting dressed every day, which many of us can relate to because of the pandemic. Yeah. I started noticing a lot of things in my environment changing. Like I, I just wasn't feeling as motivated. And I was really, really not enjoying my job at that point in time. And I just knew that something had to change. So I started with getting dressed every day because it felt like such an easy tangible thing that I could do. I didn't know how to change my job at the time or anything else that was going on that I just wasn't happy with. But I knew that if I got up in the morning, got dressed, put on a little bit of makeup, made a little bit of an effort with my appearance, that it honestly affected the way that I felt the rest of the day. And once I made that realization, that's when I decided to start my blog, Get Your Pretty On. This was a creative outlet for me where I was getting to write and uh, take photos and, you know, talk about style and share what I was learning on my style journey. I never felt stylish. I still don't identify with being a stylist or even a stylish person. It's weird to me when people say that. I went to the doctor this week and my nurse um, she's known me for a few years, but she's finally said, hey, what do you do? And I told her and she's like, oh, my gosh, that's why you always look so stylish. And I just don't identify with that even to this day, which is kind of funny. But as I was learning about style and sharing what I was learning, I I discovered something that, you know, I've brought with me through my entire entrepreneurial journey. And that is you don't have to have it all figured out. You just need to be one step ahead of where Everyone else is in the journey in order to share what you're learning with them. And honestly, I've built outfit formulas and everything in my career based upon that concept of just being one step ahead.
0: I love that. I always say I love that. I need to stop saying that. Spider's going to kill me. Um, That is Every single entrepreneur, and this is like where I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit, says the exact same thing. And I've heard that advice from so many people. My mentor tells me that all the time. Just take that next best step. My question to you on that is being one step ahead as an entrepreneur. What advice would you give for people out there listening that are overwhelmed by that concept or feel overwhelmed? For me personally, with this podcast, it feels like you're always behind even though I know I'm a step ahead. So are there certain things that you told yourself or certain pieces of advice that you would give to young entrepreneurs who are going after their passion or are just trying to be one step ahead?
1: Definitely. So I think number one is don't play the comparison game because there's always gonna be someone ahead of you. And if you're using that as your litmus test every day, I know I've had to make it a practice not to go on social media every morning because if I do that, then I'm gonna look at what everybody else is doing and feel like, I'm having major FOMO or I should be ahead in this area. You have to use you as your progress, right? So where you are now versus where you were yesterday, six months ago, last year. I find it very helpful to journal for that Mm -hmm. very reason, because I love looking back. I keep an electronic journal on my laptop so that I can just search dates and look to see what was going on a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, because I can see the progress and all of the things that have happened since then. It's not easy to see that when you're in the day to day journey. So number one is stop the comparison game. If you are going to compare to anything compare to your past self, number two is we all have imposter syndrome and you know, especially as women, I think that we struggle with this so much more than men do that we feel like we're not qualified unless we've done this or that, or we have this certification or this degree or whatever. And that's just not the case. You have something of value that you can share with the world. You don't have to be, you don't have to pre-qualify yourself for that. So, um, you know, I really just want women who aren't having that belief in yourself to know that what you have to share is valuable. Your experiences were given to you for a reason and that's to share them with other people. So absolutely trust in that as well. And also progress over perfection. I think we all set out on this journey thinking, everything has to be perfect when I do this. Like, you know, it has to be, my podcast has to be perfectly produced. My website has to look like this. And, and the fact of the matter is there will be many iterations of everything that you do. And each of those iterations, you're going to get better and better and better as you learn more and discover more, start somewhere. And don't worry about if it's messy or imperfect because you can always course correct and adjust over time.
0: Perfect explanation. And It's hard when you're, and I notice this about myself launching this podcast, there's always something like I could be doing this more. I could be doing this. People are giving you feedback. And this is one, you know, like a light that I had yesterday when I was talking to someone, she said, Erin, what do you want? What is the content that you want to put out there? And I think Mm -hmm. we live in a world with social media that everyone's telling you what you should be doing. And we just have easy access to people. I think it's a lot harder to stay in that present moment and just remind yourself like, This is your journey and you're the only one that lives on that journey and I tell people that if they're trying to go out and do something I'm, like you're the only you out there. There's no other allison. There's no other aaron So take those experiences And how can you create something and I know for you community has been huge in the growth of your business How did that come about? Was that something that you really put intention on, or do you feel that was something that kind of had that, you know, one step at a time, and then here we are with a huge community of ladies?
1: I think it was more the second thing. It was one step at a time, and here we are with this huge community, and honestly, this has been the thing that has surprised me most out of anything that I've done is the community that has come around Get Your Pretty On and the Outfit Formulas program. I started out as a blogger. I blogged for two full years before I made any money at all doing any of this. And that's when I launched my program. But during that journey, people got to know me. I was honest about where I was, you know, coming from. I didn't pretend like I knew more than I knew. Um, I felt like I gave them a lot of access to who I really was and they learned to trust me. And that's really, you know, a big part of the success of everything that I did from that point forward. But I think the thing with the community is that, number one, from day one, really setting the tone for the people that follow you, you know, being as authentic as you possibly can be will attract people to you who are like you. And therefore you're going to get the community that is a lot like you. If you're being authentic, that is who you're going to draw to you. And a lot of that was happening. So I was getting a lot of women who were not feeling like they were stylish or weren't, they didn't have a lot of confidence and, they felt intimidated when they walked into stores and tried to pick outfits out for themselves. And whenever I brought all of those women in together and allowed them to support and lift each other up, that's when this beautiful thing happened where all of these real life friendships started to happen. And the community at Get Your Pretty On has, has been absolutely hands down the best part of this entire experience. You know, we're, We've had over 100,000 members in Alpha Formulas. We have millions of readers per year on Get Your Pretty On and the group of women that have come out of it are just the kindest, most supportive women that I've ever met. And and we all know how social media is right now. Like it's you it's impossible to be on Facebook without there being some kind of contention, but yeah. honestly, we just don't have issues in our in our Facebook groups because these women that are there know how to support and uplift each other and really just setting the tone for that from day one has been hugely important to maintaining the community as it's grown. It's easy when it's small, when it gets big, it gets to be a lot harder, but new people who come into the community see the veterans that have been there and the way that they're really just lifting each other up and supporting each other on the journey. And it's, it's truly a beautiful thing.
0: Give the audience some background. I'm going to touch on growth. I have a question, a a question for you um, after, but give the audience a little bit of background on where get your pretty on came from and why you did the wardrobe capsule I think that story is very interesting and it just comes back to solving a problem for your readers and for your audience
1: It does yeah so you know after I've been blogging for 2 years and I realized that the traditional blogging business model was not going to work for me because through this authenticity and being really just honest with my audience I wasn't able to follow the traditional influencer or blogger business model of selling clothing to people because i wasn't buying a lot of clothes i would buy things and then i would reuse them wear them in different ways and i was told by other friends at the time who were blogging you're never going to make it in this you're never going to make money doing this you're not going to make a living at this because you're not selling clothes to people so i realized very early on that if i wanted to be true to who i was and not do the amazon hauls and all the things that other influencers were doing, I was going to have to figure something else out. So I sent out a reader survey. I asked my readers at the time, if there's something, a service that I could provide for you, what would that look like? And I got tons of responses back. And there was a lot of overlap in those responses where they were asking me, just give me a shopping list. Tell me what to buy when I go into the store. I get in there and I'm so overwhelmed. Or I have a whole closet full of clothes and I don't even know how to pair that up. So tell me exactly what I need and show me ways to pair that up. So I started working on this list and then I realized that there was a little bit of a formula here. And I went back to my engineering background. And I'm like, hmm, I didn't even realize I was creating a capsule wardrobe. I didn't even know what a capsule wardrobe was like. I'm, I'm revealing the, the absolute <laughs> um, lack of knowledge that I had in the style space at that time. But I realized that if I had so many bottoms, pants or skirts, so many tops, so many jackets, so many pairs of shoes and so many accessories that you could mix and match them into all of these different combinations so that women could rewear the pieces and have different ways to pair them up. So that's really how the first capsule wardrobe was born. At the time, I believe we had it branded as style challenges which we rebranded into outfit formulas based upon this formula that I accidentally stumbled upon and the first time that i launched this you know i told my community about it announced it on the blog and i was like i'm going to be happy if 50 women signed up for this thing okay 500 women signed up right out of the gate and honestly that's the power of being willing to build the community first and have those 2 years of just pure blogging where i was getting to know my community and interacting with them and then gathering that feedback and involving them in the process of creating the program that would best help and serve them. And that's the secret sauce right there.
0: Identifying the consumer and then backing in a solution from there. I think there's a lot of people that make the mistake of the opposite. And not that it can't be successful, but I think when you have this group of community and you're asking them for their feedback, it's like what they're telling you is exactly what they're going to buy. So if you do something else, it's like then you're trying to go into a market that you haven't already built. Right. You blogged for two years and then I know you took a severance package from your day job and put full time into Get Your Pretty On. When did you know it was the right time to leave the corporate world? Was it a financial moment or a financial target that you hit? Or was it more of an intuition and gut feeling thing of it's time for me to put full-time effort into what I love?
1: It was definitely the gut feeling. Uh, I felt like it was soul-sucking after a while. And there were several years that went by that I was feeling this where we were having yearly layoffs. Um, I was in telecom and I was working on the landline side. I was not in wireless. So every quarter we would have these layoffs. I, I, at one point was leading a team of 20 engineers. By the time I left, there were only two of us left on that team. And I knew the writing was on the wall and someday my severance package was going to end up coming. But, uh, you know, there were multiple years that went by where I just wanted to be on that list. And when the time would come and I wasn't on the list, I had that Degree of disappointment. Yeah. The flip side of that was, well, we're not in a financial place right now where I can, you know, take the severance package and make this work. Well, I had been blogging for about six months when my opportunity came up and my manager came to me and said, hey, you can go over on the wireless side of the house and learn something completely new you know, and different than you've been doing for the past 14 years, or you can take your severance package. So I talked to my husband about it and it was kind of like that no-brainer moment where I decided that it was time to go all in. I knew exactly how much money I had in the bank and I knew exactly how long I had to make it work. So I got a six-month Severance package, I was able to stretch that for a year. And whenever I got down to around three months left, I still was not making money. And that is when the survey went out to my readers, asking them what I could provide to them. I was working with a business coach friend of mine at the time, and she said, Allison, it's time. You've got to be willing to, you know, really put yourself out there. And you've been providing a lot of free, valuable content. It's time to get paid for that content now. And that's, you know, when that. When that switch got flipped and everything started to turn around.
0: Wow. When you're leaving a corporate job and going off to do their to do your own thing, I'm sure you had fear associated with that. What pieces of advice or things that you maybe did that you would recommend on entre- or young entrepreneurs not doing when you're navigating fear and taking risks, such as the one that you took?
1: you know most of my fear was around finances and whether i was going to be able to make this work so the number one thing that i did was i sat down and i made a spreadsheet of all of our income all of our expenses i really calculated it out to live on the minimum um, so that we could stretch it and make it work so i think that really just having that safety net there is super important whatever you're able to put off to the side that is going to help you buy your dream you're going to be able to put that in the bank it's gonna give you some peace of mind and yes there you know I did get down to three months left in my severance package and um, I feel like some of that fear was also a motivator for me whenever I kind of got to that point where I knew I had to make this work you know I was willing to do the bigger things at that point. I was willing to stick my neck out a little bit more and do the scary things and and, and, and really make the ask and I didn't have that fire lit under me. Before then. So I I think it's both, honestly, having the safety net there and also having a healthy amount of the fear to drive you forward and to help you to make those decisions and do the big things that you need to do to get to that next level. I still have that there. You know, even now with a successful business and, you know, more than enough money in the bank, there are still reasons why I want to keep moving forward. And they're maybe not as fear based now, but. I keep that fire lit under me in different ways and just keep growing and doing the things that I need to do in order to serve more women through the program.
0: You hear a lot of super successful people that fear being at the top more than anything else. Could you give an example of something that now that you've built a a successful business, an example of fear that you have now that you're at the top and you've done all of those things?
1: yeah so it's definitely changed a lot you know i do worry about could this all go away tomorrow is the market going to change will we be able to shift and and if it does or we if if we start to see less growth or you know all of these things i do run these scenarios through my mind and i have a team of 10 people now so it doesn't just affect me anymore it just isn't about oh well i'll just go find a new job or i'll start something new it's about them too so really just wanting to make sure that i'm making the right decision steering the ship in the right direction and making sure that you know, everybody is taken care of. So that's definitely a fear that is more prevalent now. But also, you know, I think that I've gotten to a point in my entrepreneurial journey where I absolutely still love the creative aspects of what I'm doing. But now I'm starting to sort of branch out a little bit more into personal branding and exploring what does that look like beyond outfit formulas who is Allison Lombatis as a brand? What do I want to represent? You know, I've always been about personal growth and changing patterns. And there's this whole other scary world out there that I'm just now starting to explore. And my next book that I'm writing is more of a self-help book. And this is a new space to step into. So uh, while it's scary, it's kind of that exciting kind of fear of stepping into the unknown and not knowing what the next chapter is. And, and that's definitely helping me get out of bed every morning, for sure.
0: I always find those answers so interesting. And one of my favorite things you said was that entrepreneurship for you is a personal development journey. Mm. I want you to elaborate on that because as someone that focuses and preaches for me personally so much on the internal, I personally believe that everything you do outside of work leads into the success that you have every day. So I want you to elaborate for the audience on things that you've done personally to get to where you are.
1: Oh, my gosh. A thousand percent. Yes. This has been such a personal development journey, uh, you know, just learning to trust my instincts and get through my fears. And as, as a natural introvert, you know, being willing to step out there into the space. And I, I think that, you know, over the past few years, the biggest challenge has been growing as a leader. I started as a solopreneur. I never wanted to lead a team. That wasn't really something that I thought about doing. But now it's one of my greatest joys is being able to lead a team. And in the beginning, I just felt so inadequate as a leader because it was a space that I had never been in before. So I had to learn how to lead and lead by example and lead with vulnerability and authenticity and all of these things. And I found that that's the best way to grow your team too, is really just leading by example and, and you know, reading the right books and listening to the right podcasts. It's a daily thing for me. I'm a lifelong learner. I thrive on learning, you know, while, <laughs> well, my, I laugh with my husband while he's watching TikTok videos at night, I'm on my Spanish learning app on my phone. Like I want, I enjoy learning so much. Like that is fun for me. It's like, I'm learning a new language now. Um, but I, I think that it's really just about focusing on those things that are going to help you grow every single day. When I wake up in the morning, if I I find that I get really uncomfortable if I am in my comfort zone, if that makes sense. Like whenever I'm in my comfort zone for too long, I start getting really antsy. I'm like, okay, I have to do something to mix this up. I've I've got to learn something new, or you know, do some kind of personal development. But I, I it's a blessing and a curse if I'm being honest.
0: It makes it tough and it's hard. I think it's just in our DNA, people like us. And I have these conversations all the time with some of my friends and I'm like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to go out. I want to do all these things. Like I want to build a business and it doesn't always resonate with them. And then I have to take a step back. And I do think, and maybe this is something you read, like the fear of complacency. For me, mm-hmm. there's nothing that I fear more than doing exactly what I'm doing in a year or five years. Like if I'm not growing, what am I doing? Doing with my life, and it sounds so black and white, and it sounds so cutthroat. But I just truly feel like it's a responsibility, responsibility for me as a human being to to just constantly grow, to become more self-aware. How can I give more? How can I learn more? And it's a a trait of a good leader. You see, most leaders that just have humility and teach vulnerability and encourage vulnerability. What is one thing you've learned about yourself through being a leader?
1: Uh, hmm, that's a really good question. I think it goes back again to instincts. I, I, I keep saying this over and over again, but one of the things I'm most proud of that I've learned on my entrepreneurial journey is really to trust myself. And empowering my team to do that, too, has been so important and allowing them to I always tell them they're not mistakes, they're opportunities. Honestly, like everything is an opportunity. There are no mistakes. And really just living that out. And sometimes we strike out on the wrong path, but we course correct and it's okay. And we learn from it. Uh, But just really just kind of accepting that that's part of the process, that if you're not making mistakes, you're not growing. And just accepting that. Don't shame it. Don't judge it. Just accept it. Learn from it and, and move on.
0: That's a good one. Not regretting things. I always tell myself too, anytime I do something that's wrong, I never look at it as a regret. I look at I look at it as a learning experience. What could I do differently next time in an interview? What could I do differently next time when I'm arguing with someone? You've grown your business like I mentioned to seven figures. What have you learned in growth? You hear a lot of times Slow growth leads to a lifetime of success rather than fast growth. Is that something that you experienced in your business, or any piece of advice that you would give people who are trying to really scale a business?
1: Absolutely, I think that the slow growth has been the key to success. And honestly, it takes about ten years for a business to get to seven figures. Most people don't realize that, but if you keep at it for ten years, you absolutely stand a really good chance of getting to seven figures. Um, I, I. I think I got there before that, since I didn't actually start the business side of Alpha Formulas until 2014, but I, I also feel like doing things slowly and having organic growth allowed me to have the right systems in place, allowed me to find the right support and build the right team. If things had happened too quickly, you know, I don't know that we could have handled it five years ago. And allowing that growth to happen slowly and, and when we did make mistakes, it wasn't affecting as many people at the time. We were able to figure things out early on and and tweak and you know try out different systems and tools in, in our business that, you know, just my membership site alone. I've done probably four different iterations of the membership site over the years. And allowing that slower growth has really just enabled me to test things out and try things out and not break the whole thing in the process, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like we're in a position right now where I have the bandwidth, I have the team, and I have the systems in place that we can scale to the moon at this point. And it's not really going to affect anything all that much. Yes, we will have to add additional team members, but we have all the processes in place. Everything's documented. And and that's a really, really good place to be. That helps me sleep really well at night.
0: It's a hard adjustment. and. You see a lot of entrepreneurs want to control. When you're building a business and you're starting, when did you know it was time for you to add on more team members to scale to where you would want it to go? And a second part of that is were you hiring for weaknesses that you had, knowing yourself and being self-aware, were you hiring for those weaknesses or were you just trying to keep up with the workload that you had?
1: You know, it's changed a lot over the years. So in the beginning, And I'll I'll tell you this, every single time I hire, it's because it's never, it's always scary. I always feel like I'm putting myself out there a little bit more. It's if if you're waiting for the right time when you have all the money in the bank and you say, oh my gosh, like this is the best time to hire somebody that's probably not going to happen, especially in the beginning, because I realized that I was the bottleneck in the business. I was the one holding things back. And whenever I was willing to invest in hiring my first person, which was a customer support person, um, then I was able to free up my time to focus more on being the visionary in the business. And as that has grown, you know, I've been able to add in a business manager and now we're starting to add in more specialty type of positions um, in the business. And each time we do that, I feel like I'm taking that next leap of faith. And then what happens is, the growth shoots up again, then we level off, we do the hires, it's uncomfortable, then the growth happens again. So it's just trusting that process and knowing that you have to get out of your own way, you need to turn things over to other people. Yes, I have filled in gaps and places that my my business manager is an integrator i'm a visionary i need her she keeps me grounded she keeps me from chasing all the bright shiny objects she breaks everything down into processes i have a true entrepreneurial mind and she's grounds me in so many different ways so you know i found her in my community too people ask me all the time where do you find good people 90 percent of the hires on my team i found within my community there are people that are already raving fans of the brand they already know it well And then, you know, I feel like skills can be taught, but passion, that's something you can't teach. So I love hiring for passion. And, you know, sometimes we have to hire for the skills, especially if it's something super technical. But for the most part, I can teach skills, but you can't teach passion.
0: What are a few things that you notice about yourself as being the bottleneck? I'm going to use myself as a guinea pig. I... Kind of knew that there's areas, even with the podcast growing it, that I wasn't good at. And I always held back and tried and forced and forced. And I just got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. So, are there certain things that you noticed about yourself or people out there listening and selfishly for me that you knew it was time to hire out?
1: Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, I, th- I said I started with customer support. And the reason I started with that is because when you're creating something and it's your art, it's really difficult to hear negative feedback and respond to that in a way that is neutral. So whenever I would get customer complaints or things that would come in through the support inbox, I realized that I needed to be I needed a layer between me and and that happening. So bringing in a customer support person then allowed me to free up my bandwidth to not take so many things personally. So that was, you know, that was such an important thing for me to realize as an entrepreneur that this is affecting me very deeply, whereas it's not going to be someone else that I hire and bring in to do this. They're going to be able to handle this all very objectively and in the right way. Um, so stepping out of customer support was huge for me. Like that was the best thing that I could possibly do. And then I was a, I was a DIYer. I bootstrapped everything. I cobbled systems together in the beginning. And whenever I had gro- you know the big growth that happened in the first year, I realized very quickly that that was way beyond my scope of tech knowledge and that I needed to bring somebody else in to be able to do this for me and build out the membership site properly on the back end, um, that this was way beyond my level of understanding. And I kind of think it's been that way with everything where I've dabbled a little bit in things like graphic design and social media. And while I was doing it all myself for a while, I would bump up against the next level and say, okay, this is a space where... I've done as much as I can do. I'm not willing to learn a lot more because that's not a good use of my time. A good use of my time is being the CEO of this business and being the visionary and leading it, not learning next level graphic design or social media or whatever the next skill was. I needed to hire in the experts in each of those areas in order to allow the growth to happen. And it worked like a charm. It always happens.
0: (laughs) What are there some of the what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see other entrepreneurs make when they are hiring people out or they're adverse to that and they're trying to control everything from A to Z? Uh
1: yeah, so when with hires I would have to say hiring too quickly for a position um I've gotten really good at trusting my gut again with interviews, but early on, I was terrible at it. You know, I would look at them on paper and say, oh gosh, you know, this person looks like a really good fit, but I didn't get to know them enough in the process. I would just bring in and I was just, you know, bringing in contractors at the time. So it was easy, easy come, easy go. And a lot of times I, I held on to them for far longer than I needed to. I knew within a week that things weren't working out, but I would let it linger for like six months before I would do anything about it. Um, So I think that that was an important part of the learning process is letting go early on if things are not working out. Um, And the second part of that question was, you know, really... When you get to that point of realizing that it is time to bring other people on, if you don't, you're really just hurting the growth of your business. When you're trying to do everything yourself on your own, uh, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much bandwidth that you have. And again, while it is scary to start handing things off. You need white space in your calendar because that white space is where you're able to daydream and come up with good ideas and freeing up that bandwidth from doing everything yourself to being able to plan and focus on that growth. You've got to allow yourself the opportunity to do that. So even if it is scary to turn it over, know that white space is a really, really good thing.
0: It's crazy to hear that so many people's journeys in entrepreneurship and yours was working from home. That's exactly my story. When I was forced to work from home during COVID, this is where this entire podcast was born. And it's crazy because people think you always have to be busy. You always have to do this. And I tell them, if you're in a place in your life where you have time, use that time. It's there for a reason. There's something that's being called to you or there's something that you need to just digest further and learn more about. And you said you're a true entrepreneur. What are characteristics that you see in yourself and that you see in other entrepreneurs? Maybe there's people out there listening that resonate with unfulfilled in their corporate world, or maybe they think they want to be an entrepreneur. And when you list some things off they're what comes to mind?
1: You know, I think you hit on a really key um, trait of entrepreneurs, and that is that we're always looking to move the needle, right? We you know, other people look at us and say, well, you have such a good job and you're getting paid well. And like, I don't understand. Why are you satisfied? And you feel like you're a unicorn or there's something wrong with you. Uh, (laughs) If you're feeling that way, you might be an entrepreneur. Trust me on this. I thought that way for so many years when people around me in my job would say things to me like that, and they didn't understand where this discontentment was coming from and this desire. To do something else, to do something more, to work for myself, to be able to know that I had control over my destiny. I didn't have to wait for my manager to give me an assignment or a project or a raise. Like I was in control of that, even though it was really scary at first. Um, you know, I, I would never, ever go back to working for anybody again. Like I, there's no scenario in my mind where that would ever happen again. But I also think that entrepreneurs, are born. <laughs> I look back to the things that I loved doing as a child and I would create little stores and, and pretend like I was a store owner and I daydreamed a lot. And, you know, I think that I could see like little budding entrepreneur Allison even back when I was eight years old and the things that I enjoyed doing and, and wanted to do and and so many of those traits that I've carried into adulthood. I just allowed you know, society and the pressures of everyone around me, sometimes it's your family, sometimes it's your friends, but everybody puts their expectations on you. And that makes you feel like you can't strike out and do this different thing. And it's funny because I think even people in my family were like, oh, that's cute. You have a little vlog at your kitchen table. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, no, actually, I kind of been building an empire over here, you know? Like, don't worry about what other people think, what other people are saying. Just follow your heart and your dreams and trust that you were born different, that you were made different for a reason and that you're never going to feel, feel fulfilled unless you actually pursue that reason.
0: I just... The universe is a crazy place. I just journaled that yesterday after I had a talk and it's one thing that I wrote down that I wanted to talk to people about because my whole life, I was the only one that was doing something different. I was one that was up at 5am to work out. I was the one working two jobs on the weekends instead of going out and partying. I was one that wasn't dating because I wanted to focus on my career. I've always been that one friend and that one person in my office And sometimes I'm the person that puts the expectation. I think, why would you ever want to stay in this job? Like, you don't want to have something for your own. And I catch myself and I've started to realize like, it's okay to be different. What advice or things did you tell yourself? You hear a lot that entrepreneurship can be a very lonely journey. To me, it hasn't felt lonely because I've learned more about myself than I think I ever have. But what things, excuse me, did you tell yourself are to keep, your mindset in a positive place and to keep moving when you do feel alone or you you do feel like the oddball out or you feel like everyone around you is telling you what to do and none of that is resonating with where you want to go in your life?
1: You have to trust yourself. You just do. I mean, you may not be understood by the people closest to you and I wasn't. I wasn't understood by even my husband at times. Like he is not an entrepreneurial mind at all. And he, you know, just didn't understand all of these dreams and aspirations that I had. And it would cause friction early on whenever I was, you know, heading down this path. And I knew in my mind how this was all going to work out. Like I I had the fears, but I also trusted that this is going to happen. This is going to work. And I knew that it was one of those things where I would just have to prove it. And, And I did. But I think a big thing that helped me in this process was getting into masterminds and being around other like-minded women who were exactly like me. And when we would get together, we're like, "Oh my gosh. I didn't know people like you existed. Like this is it's it's such a different experience. Like I have my friends that aren't entrepreneurs and you know, we have our conversations and it's great and we talk about family and all the things, but When I get with my entrepreneurial friends, it is like next level, mind blowing conversations. And it just I feel like my brain's lit up in in every single way. So you have to find groups of women like you because it is a lonely ride and you need to have those friends that you can just call up once in a while and say, hey, this isn't working like my marketing is what used to work isn't working? What are you doing? Or how did you find your last hire? Or, you know, there's all of these things that they only they understand really, really well. So find your people, whether that's through a paid mastermind or joining, you know, getting into some kind of coaching or something like that, some kind of organization with other entrepreneurs, it is going to be invaluable in your journey, for sure. Finding people that are around the same phase of business that you are and then growing along with them because you're going to be reaching the same pain points in the journey and you are all going to be able to feed off each other and give each other advice and that. And it's just going to be so valuable and shortcut so many of the mistakes and, and so much of the growth for you if you have somebody that's gone ahead of you or is in the same position that you're in.
0: What are some things that you would tell the audience now looking back on your entrepreneurial journey, things that you advise people to do, whether it's trusting your gut or very tangible things, and then things that you would advise people do differently than you did? Maybe mistakes that you made that now you're looking back, you're like, eh, I wouldn't do that.
1: Mm. So early on, I was not building my own assets and I think I see this a lot today with entrepreneurs that are relying on social media for their audience and not having their own websites or their own presence or their own email list. And a lot of people are like, oh, but email and websites are old fashioned. Well, no, they're not. (laughs) Um, Conversions still happen in email. These are the most loyal people that are subscribing to you. Text messaging service is something else that you can own. That's your list that you're acquiring. Social media can go away. We've all seen this happen. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, it can go down. And then what? You have no means of communicating with this audience that you've built. So definitely build your own assets. And a web presence is still very important. People still need to be able to Google you and find you through a website. So definitely do that. I didn't start building my email list until I was two years down the road. And I think about all of the leads that I didn't capture during that time. Um, And, you know, I wish I could go back to that and and really be able to recover that. But I can't now. So, you know, that's one thing that I advise everybody to do is just make sure that you have your own assets and you're building your own lists. And then what was the second part of that question that you?
0: So I said, what are pieces of advice, like things that you would tell people differently. So that's something that you differently. And then what are some things that you would advise people to do outside of, you know, trusting your gut or are there tangible things that you would advise entrepreneurs to do along your journey?
1: Yes. Get a CPA. Okay. <laughs> 100%. Like I was paying, once I did start making money, I had no clue what I was doing with it. And I was paying so much in taxes my first two years. And then I finally stop doing it myself. Like, again, this is another example of you've got to bring in an expert and and it was beyond my scope and I couldn't do it anymore. I needed a bookkeeper. I needed a CPA. I just recently hired a tax strategist that is actually able to advise me on the tax code is written for small businesses, like take advantage of it. This is what you should be doing. Um, so really just getting your mind right with your money and your finances early on is super important. And again, it's, a, it's an investment and you may not think you have the money for it at the time, but it's one that will pay back. Absolutely. If you hire the right person and have them doing that for you. And now I'm in a stage in business where I can say investing in legal, I've had to Defend my trademarks, and as Alpha Formulas continues to grow, I'm having more and more um, trademark misuse happening rampantly. So I, my team and I, are not equipped to chase that down anymore. So I've had to bring on a legal team now, and just every every step of the way, it's like new level, new devil. You've got to adjust and be willing to make the investments in the next part of your business that makes the most sense for your growth.
0: So what is next for you? You wrote one best selling book. I know you're in the process, or have you launched the ne- the ne- second book? So, what's next for you? Where can the audience find you? Pimp yourself out a little bit.
1: Sure. So, what's next for me? I'm letting the universe decide. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I love I your really energy. <laughs> I feel like I'm multi-passionate. I love being an entrepreneur. I love helping women feel confident. Honestly, that style is the Trojan horse. Confidence is what we're really selling. And I want to help more and more women grow into that and feel comfortable and, and changing patterns. I'm hugely passionate about that. There are so many things that I want to explore. And now that I have more and more of this white space in my calendar, I'm able to do that. So I'm just having fun in, in the journey right now and in the exploration and writing the next book and sharing some of the things that, you know, I've done in my life that have really just moved the needle for me and, and changed the trajectory of my life in so many ways. So I'm excited about that and just allowing that journey to unfold. I'm not pushing anything at all. and It's really a nice place to be. It feels it feels right. I feel like um, I feel peace about it, honestly
0: something that we're all working towards. And I think it's easy to get caught up in the journey and what's next. And I know you probably feel this way. That's how I am. It's what the next, the next step, how can I cross off the next to-do list? And I'm all, I'm always reminded to just enjoy where you are now. Cause in a year you're not going to be here and you're going to look back and just be like, where was Erin? Why was she not present? Why wasn't she being, you know, grateful for all those things? So it's something that it's hard. <laughs> I don't, I mean- when you have a mission and something that you want to go after that you're so passionate about, it's like, I just want to get there, but something that I'm trying to, Mm -hmm. trying to work on. As we begin to wrap up this podcast, thank you so much for going on. Are there any, anything else that you want to leave the audience with, whether it's pieces of advice, things not to do or encouragement for anyone out there listening along their journey?
1: Yeah, I would just, I would just love to say that I've, I spent 17 years in corporate America before I accidentally stumbled down the path that I'm on right now. But I used those 17 years to acquire all of the skills and the knowledge and the traits that I needed, honestly, to lead to the success today. So if you feel like you're behind on your journey, just know that you're not. You can you can start a new career. I was 40 years old when I started a new career. It is entirely possible. So don't get discouraged Learn what you need to learn, where you're at in the space that you're at right now, and trust that everything is coming together for your good. And then keep putting in the work and keep growing and keep developing and keep investing in yourself and trust that what's meant to be will, will be for you. You're not going to miss out on it.
0: I love that. You are an awesome person. This is like my favorite interview today at Spider. <laughs> He's nodding his head. Yes, you really <laughs> are. You're... T- it's hard to come across super authentic, genuine people. You see entrepreneurs that are all over the space. So it's just refreshing when you talk to someone and you can just feel their good heart from across the, across the screen. So I really truly appreciate that. And the final question that I ask everyone is Alison, what are you grateful for today?
1: Mm, that's such a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, going with my God on this. I'm going to say my health. I have had a really rocky health journey the past two years and health is something that we take for granted especially when we're mission-driven entrepreneurs we put pour so much into others that sometimes we can put ourselves on the back burner and that's exactly what happened to me and my body finally said no we're not going to do this anymore and i started having a lot of autoimmune issues so oh. this was really an opportunity for me to step back and honor myself and really just give myself a lot of love and i've learned so many things from it it's been an extremely frustrating journey at times it's been you know there are, i've had to learn to rely on other people and just really delegate a lot of what i was doing but in the process i've learned so much about myself and i'm just incredibly grateful for this gift because it's the one thing that money can't buy and just being able to wake up every day and feel good is is such an incredible blessing so i am absolutely so grateful for my health
0: Yeah. I always, that's something I use that one a lot and it's till it's taken from you and you don't realize. And I had a conversation with someone at work the other day and he's like, you know what? I always take my health for granted. I'm like, after my mom got in a car accident five years ago, it's something that I wake up every day. And I'm like, this is, I'm so grateful just to breathe, to walk, to do yoga, to just have the things that when we wake up every morning, we just don't think about. So thank you so much. I am going to piggyback of you. I'm going to say I'm very grateful for my for my health. And I always say this podcast, but it's interviews like this, that exactly why I have this and exactly why I'm so passionate. So thank you so much for being on. This was a great interview.